0: Hey there friends, welcome back to the Happiness Habits Transformation podcast, the place to discover the happiness habits that inspiring women have used to transform their daily routines, bringing them clarity, peace and joy. I'm your host Michelle Reeve, former life coach and author of the Happiness Habits Transformation. Now, if you're anything like me, or the thousands of women who struggle with managing their weight, their relationship with food and nutrition in general, particularly during perimenopause, then I think you're going to really enjoy today's episode. I'm joined by Josie Jones, a food and eating psychology coach, founder of The Mindful Cook, and creator of the non-diet method. She works with women to help them break free from restrictive diets and discover how to use nutrition and mindset skills to feel more energised, stronger and body confident. This is such an important topic and I'm delighted to have Josie back on the show to discuss it. In our conversation today, you'll learn about the journey that Josie herself took to overcome her own unhealthy relationship with food the impact that our pervasive diet culture has had on generations of women and how restricting calories can actually slow down our weight loss, the link between our psychological response to ageing and our relationship with our bodies, how we become more sensitive to cortisol during perimenopause and the impact this can have on our bodies including weight gain and cholesterol and how stress can impact our absorption of nutrients and have a huge impact on our emotional response to food plus tips from Josie to help regulate our nervous system in just 10 minutes a day. Now, while you're listening today, think about how you can take what you learn and put it into practice. Take action in any way that's meaningful for you. And as always, you'll find all the links and details of today's show and all the other shows in this series at my website, michellereveswrites.com forward slash podcast. But before we get to today's interview, a few things in this episode's personal update. It's molting season for our two cats, Bella and Ziggy, so apologies if I sneeze while I'm recording this. There is fur everywhere. So, I'm still working on the audiobook version of The Happiness Habits Transformation, which is taking longer to get done than I anticipated. I'm listening to every chapter being read out loud by my AI narrator and training her on any pronunciations that she struggles with. But I've also realised that I need to add in some new resources to make it easier for listeners to access some of the material within the book. I'm getting excited about getting back to my fiction project, which is a middle grade children's book that I started writing for my son far too long ago, once the audiobook is complete. With that in mind, I've started reading Writing Archetypal Character Arcs by K.M. Wheland, and I've been dipping back into Save the Cat Writes a Novel by Jessica Brody, one of my favourite writing books. If you've been here for a while you'll know that my preferred way to access content myself is listening to podcasts and I've been binge listening episodes from Rob Bell, Joanna Penn, the Alliance of Independent Authors and Dominic Saxer. I'd love to know if you listen to any of these podcasters or if you have any recommendations for new shows. Leave me a comment wherever you're listening to this today or over on my Instagram page. Okay back to today's show. So friends I've got Josie Jones on the podcast today which is fun for more than one reason. One because there's so much I want to talk about today in relation to habits and food but secondly because Josie is an old old friend and it's always lovely to have a friend on the show. So welcome Josie thanks so much for joining us today. Hello
1: thank you so much for having me it's a pleasure to be here.
0: I can't wait to get into our discussion because there's lots of things I want to talk about but not everyone who's listening is going to know you so let's start off with a bit of an introduction tell us who you are what you do and a bit about the challenges that got you to where you are today.
1: Sure great yeah so I'm Josie Was Buck, now Jones. I got married a couple of years ago. We were just talking about how lovely the alliteration of Josie Jones is. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Um, And I'm a food and eating psychology coach. Um, I tend to work with women who have been exposed to diet culture. And I really work with them to help them to break free from patterns of restricted dieting and support them in discovering how to use real. I call it real evidence-based nutrition and mindset skills to really build back their body confidence and just improve the way that they feel about themselves and that career path is very much um, something that's informed by my own personal journey.
0: Yeah so tell us a bit about that journey so I know you know, you went on, well, you've had a bit of a career change, as we both have. And I know our career changes <laughs> sort of intertwined a bit, which is, which is lovely. Um, but tell us a bit about that journey you went on, because you did have quite a big career change.
1: Yeah Yeah, I did. So you and I met when we were both working the corporate ladder, Mm. um I you know had a great job in at the time that I met you um I was at a marketing agency for financial services you were a, a big person in financial services yourself um and it was great you know I had a great career but the truth is that really behind the door closed doors I was really suffering um with my body image I was what I generally refer to as spinning around the revolving doors of weight loss clubs, um, just in a really bad relationship with food and with my body. And the truth is that the pattern of dieting really started for me at a very early age. Um, Sadly, one of my most prominent memories of when I was younger was um, being called fatty at school. Um, you know just really struggling with things like PE and having to wear that terrible short skirt and all those kind of things and um, going home and telling my mum about that stuff um, her response sadly was to kind of put me on a diet and to incentivize me um, to lose weight by offering me a clothes shopping trip (laughs) and that kind of paints my mum in a really bad light I think but the truth is That wasn't her being nasty. I think that that was her um, doing what she could to protect me from what she thought would be a lifetime of criticism and judgment about my size. Um, And to me, when I think about this now in the context of where I am now and what I've learned, that story um, really demonstrates just how pervasive. And damaging diet culture is and how heavily targeted it is at women um, and I think that this is a narrative actually that many of us have experienced in one way or another. Um, I am guess we're going to talk about diet culture in some detail but we definitely you know exist within a culture that teaches us to associate food with moral values, um, to equate our size and body shape with our value in life, Um, you know, so I began that diet cycle at a very, very young age and I spent many, many years after that doing the same thing and when I met you I was probably in my mid-30s and slightly ashamed about the fact that I was still doing that stuff, you know.
0: Yeah and I've got a very similar But lots of parallels, actually, with my own experience of diet culture in that it started for me at a very young age in being exposed to it through my mother's own experience of diet culture. So a bit like you were saying, you know, the kind of going to slimming clubs uh, that revolving door and and kind of gaining weight and losing weight and and the whole competition side of it and um you know having to go in and and be weighed in front of other people and 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 the the kind of competition around it and and I think one of my abiding memories um you talking about a memory of that where you can see that pervasive culture was um my you know, I can remember as a, as a child, my mother cutting up a a chocolate bar into one centimeter slices, and we could have a certain number of slices a day because that that was okay. um and so it is really interesting how a whole generation of women uh, kind of um internalized that diet culture as normal yeah. and and how that has continued. Through the generations, and it's really interesting to me to think about how that affects future generations, and how we might be able to break that um, that link, if you like, between food and and how we feel about ourselves. Particularly in light of things like the sins that uh, (laughs) are from Slimming World. Talk to us a bit about how that diet culture kind of affects us psychologically in terms of our relationship with ourselves.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think it is passed down through generations. I look at, you know, um social media now, and I think we are, I think there's quite um a growing concern about it among women. I think women are becoming more aware of it. I think there are some very positive movements now um, kind of pushing against it, but irrespective of that, it's still very, very much there. Um, And whilst the mothers that are coming through the generations now are learning not to, you know, maybe talk about food in those ways in front of their children, wherever you look, it's in culture, isn't it? It's in media, marketing, messages. It's on the TV. It's everywhere. Um, Slimming clubs, unfortunately, have, you know, a huge amount of money and um, they still very much own the marketplace, the weight loss marketplace. And as you say, sadly, they kind of teach us some bad lessons about food. And one of my biggest gripes with that is this idea of rather than seeing food in terms of how it can nourish our cells, the nutrients that it's going to provide our body with, how that's going to interact with our hormones and all that kind of stuff. We very much see it at a very basic level. We see it at the level of numbers. We see it at the level of, as you've just said, moral value, sin, you know, that slimming world, isn't it? Love it. But points, sins, calories, all of that kind of stuff. When we're being taught to see food in that way, we're not necessarily learning how to evaluate food on the level of how it's actually going to interact with our biology, how much energy it's going to give us whether we're going to feel tired in the afternoon after eating it, you know, all of this other stuff that is actually so much more valuable than whether or not it's going to make us gain or lose a few pounds. Um, So sadly, um, yeah, I think that's one of the big problems. But they have a lot of money. They invest a lot of money in advertising. And I'm speaking from my personal experience. It is so easy to get trapped in that you know that cycle really um because one of the other things that is very very real is that you know we have an innate survival system our bodies are incredibly clever things and when we are restricting our body of valuable energy by you know restricting food restricting nutrients effectively your body's thinking that it's going you know it's being starved Um, When we're depriving ourselves of food, your innate, incredibly clever survival mechanism is saying, hang on a minute, you know, there's no food around, what's happening here? And when we do that over a prolonged period of time, there's enough evidence around now suggesting that actually what happens is our metabolism slows down. It is basically trying to, you know, protect us against um, famine essentially um and so and i again this was very much something that happened to me i would go on a diet i would restrict calories for an intense you know period of time i would lose okay, 6 to 10 pounds and then as soon as i returned to normal eating again that weight would go back on and i would also gain more and this is something now that has been observed as part of your body's survival mechanism if it has been in famine, it eventually, over time, um, will not just take you back to your healthy weight, but it will also then put a little bit extra on as well, because essentially, it's gone into a stress response from having that restricted period of time. And it's basically defending you against that happening again. So in short, (laughs) um, the, the kind of the, bio- the biology, the nutrition, there's a lot of flawed information coming out of diet culture and weight loss clubs, sadly, but there's a very, very famous um, quote by one of the old financial directors of Weight Watchers. I don't know if you've ever seen this, um, but I mean, it must have been the biggest PR gaffe ever known to man. And he came out and said, you know, that's how we make money, essentially, this quote is on my social media feed so um don't quote me on this exactly but essentially what he said was that's how we make our money because people keep coming back because actually there is no real way out of that kind of cycle of the way that your body interacts with periods of restriction
0: and isn't it just so fascinating that you know we in a way I guess you know, with other industries, things like gambling or smoking or other things that are not good for us, yeah. but we understand that there is an exchange there and that, you know, it's not good for us, but we feel that we need to do it and it's an addiction. But, 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 and there's a lot of help for people to overcome that. But when people are paying a lot a lot, a lot of money to companies, in you know in in diet culture, on the under on the understanding from their side that you're basically going to be coming back because you know this yeah. isn't going to work, you know, <laughs> it strikes me as that is just as bad really because food is addictive, isn't it? Particularly Absolutely. when what they tend to be promoting, as I understand it, is low fat foods etc., which are very high in sugar, which is extremely addictive.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's not regulated is the bottom line. And ultimately, as with most things, sadly, in the world that we live in, it's very much dictated by money. You know, um, the food manufacturing industry, massive money making industry, the diet industry, massive money making industry. And quite often when you look back on the history of certain things, when you look at the research so your particular point there, was low-fat products and the truth that is a lot of low-fat products actually contain more sugar Um, when you look at the history of that you go back to the 1970s there was a huge piece of research done looking at the relationship between um, the increase of heart conditions and nutritional factors essentially and they looked at a number of different things and the two kind of main foods in the frame were fats and sugars. And long story short, you can look this up because um, it's quite a fascinating study, but the real research showed quite a distinct correlation between sugar and the increase of coronary incidents in the US. But the actual data that was presented was one that showed a picture that fats were actually in the frame for the relationship between you know increase in heart um heart issues so uh, when you look back on that you realize that actually the sugar board were you know on a bit of a backhander in the crude way of of putting it to that piece of research so they didn't want to be put on the frame in the frame so there's a lot of money you know exchanging and sadly we are at the will of all that you know there's not it's not regulated as such. Another really interesting um, thing that I read about this morning, one of my nutritionist friends, Karen Newby, posted that Nestle have just launched a new breakfast cereal. Have you seen this? It's like Kit Kats. No. It's basically a Kit Kat breakfast cereal. Okay. And her argument is another, she said, you know, another reason why I feel that cereals should be put on the confectionery shelf and not in the cereals aisle. I completely agree. Um, But when you look at it, Nestle, are on the advisory board for the British Nutrition Foundation. (laughs) So it's this kind of stuff that we need to be exposing more. Mm. And I think that's, you know, that's part of my role. I think it's a part of nutritionist's role. Karen Newby's doing a great job of it, you know, is exposing this stuff because people don't know this. They don't know that. You know, I was brought up on Weight Watchers and Slimming World. I thought I was eating a diet that was you know that was good for my body um, and and this happens a lot with the women that I work with you know learning things like what low fat really isn't that great for me wow mm. you know it takes a lot to you kind of have to say that a few times that you look at the label you know have a look at that label have a look at the you know grams of sugar per 100 grams in that it's a real kind of education piece because we have been taught that these foods that are very often manufactured with the brand of Weight Watchers, you know, if you think about it, cereal bars, all of those products that they themselves produce, um, and they're sold to us as being healthy. Mm.
0: So tell us, talk to us a little bit about how you overcame that, that kind of almost like miseducation in a way that we've that we've had. How did you how did you overcome that? And what habits did you sort of bring into your routine to help you to
1: overcome it? Yeah. Good question. I um, you know, as we were saying, I was a so many of us are I was a bright woman. Um I'd been kind of just socialized, brought up to see food in this way. And the more I kind of went through life, well, it, it it's a heavy burden. I think being in a constant antagonistic relationship with your body and with food bears heavy on your soul mm. <laughs> as you go through life. It really, really does. And I kind of got into my 30s and just thought, this, something's got to give here. This is completely bonkers. Um, you know, I'm bright. I've got a good job. Why the hell am I cycling back into this you know pattern of behavior all the time so I realized for me that I had to educate myself in order to change my habits there really was an education piece that needed to be done because the truth is I knew nothing about nutrition nothing about real nutrition um and really the biggest part of it for me there's kind of two parts to it one was you know learning some real nutrition but the other thing was trying to understand what was going on in my head around food you know I felt deeply conflicted about food how could it feel like this enemy to me whilst at the same time I had a love of cooking you know and I kind of knew that food had the power to bring people together that food was this amazing source of nourishment and yet here was me in this awful relationship with it um so I'm going to say I was massively privileged to be in a position to do this Um, and I'm not sure which fed the other but I kind of got to a point in my life where I thought right something's got to give Um, and I ended up quitting my career my corporate career because I think now I look back on that when you look at the patterns of stress associated to my career Um, all of that kind of stuff was also feeding into my relationship with food you know nobody's relationship with food is black and white it's all very very deeply complex Um, and I was single I had my own home at the time so I was in a very privileged position but I decided to give up my career I decided to stop working and to basically go and retrain and I started in eating psychology coaching. And really, I did that not because I, I thought I was going to have this career doing it. I did it because it was a way, it was a path to healing myself and to understanding my own deeply conflicting relationship with food. So that's where I started. And during that period of time, I, I moved back home to live with my parents. Probably wouldn't advise that in your uh in your late 30s. Um <laughs> but <laughs> I did that and I ended up going and working at this well-being retreat for women whilst I was studying. And actually I went and lived in a caravan <laughs> on the grounds of this retreat. It was like complete and utter life change, epiphany moment where um I just threw off the shackles of corporate life and went and did my retraining and working at this wonderful, wonderful place. Because the truth is, as I mentioned, I used to love cooking and I loved food. So I ended up cooking there and hosting the retreat whilst I was studying. Um, And whilst I was there, I just had this incredible experience of not just cooking, but when we cooked the meal, I would sit around the dinner table every night and talk to the women that were coming through the door of this retreat to come stay and we talked about their exposure to diet culture we talked about their relationship with food you know we talked about their challenges with their body image and that's when I started to realize the scale you know of of this challenge and also you know the great realization that I wasn't on my own but also this huge realization that this is what I need to be doing I need to be helping other women taking what I'm learning on this journey of my own and sharing it with other women so that they can help themselves and support themselves through improving their relationship with food so yeah it was um it was a, a life-changing moment, the whole experience. And then I went on to study applied nutrition, um, which really is the application of nutrition in cookery because that is my passion. Um, and whilst I was at this retreat, the wonderful women that were around me, working with me, were kind of like, you know, go run. you should run your own retreat. You should do this thing. And I was thinking, really. Let's not even go there on imposter syndrome when you change your career (laughs) halfway through your life, you know, Um, Mm. but that's how it started. And so I started off in running um, well-being cookery, food retreats. um, And then from there, fortunately for me, pre-COVID, because of my eating psychology training, I and with I think the mindset piece for me is so much bigger. I really do um, think that we're talking about habits. I think our habits of behaviour are very, very much informed by our habits of thought and feeling. And that is specifically true of our relationship with food. Because ultimately, how we think about things informs how we behave. Um, So... The mindset piece was always the biggest piece for me, so I started to write short courses on things like emotional eating, um, and thankfully, I kind of started that stuff before good old COVID hit. The
0: whole, the whole piece about about you know thoughts being a habit, you know, they absolutely we can get into patterns of negative thinking or positive thinking. You know, it is it, yeah. are, are, you know that that kind of the habit cycle is you know as you're talking about it becomes much more um evident doesn't it when you start thinking about your relationship with food and and your relationship with your body you can kind of almost see those negative thoughts repeating themselves and it's it's almost like a a daily conversation I would I would guess you know one day and and, and it's ongoing isn't it I mean I'd love to know you know, do you would you say that you've kind of cracked it? Do you do you never have any negative thoughts about about food or about your body, or is it or is it an ongoing activity?
1: That's a really good question, and it's absolutely an ongoing activity. You know, we evolve, our bodies change, our life experiences are constantly throwing things at us, and again, this is why the reality of our relationship with food is in such conflict with diet culture because it isn't something that you quickly fix, you know, on an 800 calorie a day fast for three (laughs) weeks. It goes a lot deeper than that. And so the psychological aspects, the emotional aspects of our relationship with food is to me, the biggest piece of the puzzle. Um, I've always said that our relationship with food is far more to do with what goes on in our minds rather than what we put on our plates. And for me, it's constant, you know, um, I gain a bit of weight. You know, I have those dialogues with myself all the time, but I think the thing that I have learned through the work that I've done um, on myself and through the work that I do with other women is that self-compassion and Um, learning to be kinder to ourselves is possibly the most valuable lesson in all of it because, of course, we change. Um, And, of course, we, you know, things happen in our lives that are outside of our control. So almost the biggest thing is to learn to be our best friend through that stuff um, rather than being in conflict with ourselves.
0: You've touched on something that... that I'm going to just raise in relation to perimenopause because it's a topic that I know um, people listening to the show are interested in. And mm-hmm. obviously I've done a new chapter in the second edition of the book all about my own experience of perimenopause and and, and how that's changed me and my body and and, you know, as our horm- as you say, you know, our hormones fluctuate not only through our life, but for women every month. I mean, it's, yeah. <laughs> you know, the way that our bodies work and the way that we absorb food, I'm guessing, and the way that we use nutrition changes throughout the month and the way that we, you know, store water and then give it out again. And, and, and all of these things, you know, they affect the way we feel, particularly Absolutely. if we have a negative thought about about that. Um, it's quite interesting. I saw a video. I saw a video from a, a lady on Instagram the other day where she was she'd taken photographs of her stomach at various points during her cycle, and all the other things being pretty equal, she you know you, you could see sort of the her, her her stomach becoming more round as she came up to certain parts in her cycle and then decreasing again afterwards. And it was it was water retention basically, yeah, but yeah. but showing that your body because your body is preparing to nourish you know, another human being, whether, whether it actually does or not, doesn't really matter, you know that. So, you know, it's quite interesting that we have this, this negative view of what our body's going to do regardless of whether we like it or not. Yeah. Um, But as we hit perimenopause, which we all, you know, we're all going to go through this at some point in various ways, with various experiences, but from speaking to a lot of women about this, then I'm hearing um, that their relationship with themselves changes and there is a tendency to put on a bit more weight our bodies start to act a bit differently because our hormones are changing and so I wonder if and I know you're not specifically you know you don't cover menopause specifically as as a coach but I'm wondering if this time in our lives is a time when we really need to double down on that self-compassion
1: and kindness yeah absolutely and uh just to know, I'm really interested. So I've got your uh, previous version of your book, so I'll definitely want to copy that. I shall um, put
0: one in the post to you.
1: <laughs> to read about that. That's lovely. I think there is so much to be learned from the shared wisdom of the experience of other women as well. So um it's great that you've written that in your book. Um yes, you're absolutely right. Double down is the right thing, but also it's an interesting one that, isn't it? Because actually it's a time in our lives when we feel most mentally conflicted as well. So we don't feel ourselves in our minds, um, so it's even tougher sometimes to practice self-care. I think. Mm, mm. Um, so there is a natural shift in our, um, you know, in in lots of things around menopause, particularly our hormones, and there's kind of the biological impacts of that, as you're saying. So we are more likely to, well, we're more sensitive to the effects of cortisol at this time in our lives um, because as oestrogen declines, oestrogen um, has a role in moderating cortisol levels. Cortisol is very well understood as a stress hormone, but actually it plays a lot of different and very important roles in our body, including moderation of our sleep and wake cycle as well. But cortisol naturally um, shifts uh, fat cells around in our body right so this is why we might experience a slight thickening of our waist around menopause one of the reasons um so you've kind of got the biological stuff um also I hear a lot of women saying you know I've been to the doctors and they've told me I've got high cholesterol I now say and the thing is for us as well we tend to kind of blame I, you know the immediate response is I must be eating the wrong stuff, you know. I haven't changed my diet. What am I doing wrong? And the truth is, menopause can affect so many things in our body, and it does also have an influence. There is research showing that it can have an influence over our cholesterol levels as well. So, it's always worth going back to the doctor and saying, "Okay, that's great. Actually, could the fact that I'm in perimenopause or menopause be influencing this? Does that play a role in it?" You know, we're very quick to judge ourselves when actually um, there's so many changes that occur around that time of life that is actually part of our biological response to that change. Um, But also, I think mentally, this is the bigger piece of the puzzle because I think it's um, we're more susceptible to stress. um, And the stress response is not only something that, you know, is something that we feel in our minds. It's very much something that happens in our bodies as well if we're stressed it inhibits our digestion therefore the absorption of nutrients you know is less so the thing I think we need to double down on and work harder at not necessarily harder but be more aware of around that time of our life is managing stress because actually it's our emotions and our stress that we kind of ignore sometimes you know we're kind of so acutely aware of all this stuff the size of us changing and you know, maybe some of the very physical symptoms that we may feel, we forget about looking after our minds. And I think that's the bit that we need to really double down on around menopause, because um, we're going to feel that both in our mental health, but also in our physicality as well, very, very much, you know, um, it can affect things like, I think a really good way to imagine the relationship between your nervous system and your digestion is to think about if you've ever experienced that sensation of butterflies in your stomach, Mm. most people have, you know, if you're anxious or you're nervous, a lot of us feel that in and around our stomach and in our gut. And I think that is such a great way to bring your attention to the very direct relationship between stress and your digestive system. Um, And so therefore managing stress and all the emotions that are happening you know around menopause that in and of itself can cause stress so calming stuff doing your breathing exercises doing your whatever it is body mind movement yoga tai chi all of those kind of things are things that I can really enhance your experience around that time of your life
0: yeah let's talk about some solutions in in a second it just struck me though um as you were talking there about our relationship with our bodies, I think there's there's a parallel, I think, at, at, at this age as well, in that it's not just our relationship with our our bodies and our, our mental, if you like, phys- our psychological relationship mm-hmm. with our bodies. I think it's also potentially our psychological relationship with ageing, yeah. which in yeah. Western culture is, is such seen as such a negative thing. And, um, and I know there's a lot of people trying to change that. And, but I think in the same way as a lot of people are trying to change the way we view our bodies, and there's the body positivity movement, etc. I still think it's quite a pervasive thing that people age and and don't like the fact that they're aging yeah. and see the negative sides rather than the positive sides. And I'm, I'm absolutely one of those people, you know, I get up in the morning and, and I'm, I'm you know, a lot more stiff than I used to be. And I have to do stretches in order to be able to move around comfortably. And, you know, the natural tendency is to go to the place of negativity. We know that that's the way I place our brain most is most likely to go for most people. Yeah. So it, it's almost that kind of relationship with aging and how that, kind of maybe has an influence on our relationship with our bodies at this age as well
1: absolutely yeah absolutely michelle i think it's a really good point well made because i i I actually said this in one of my um coaching sessions the other day you know think about all of the aggressive language that's used towards us around general body image you know you've got to fight the flab you've got to you know i don't know battle the bulge all that crap um Mm -hmm we are women are constantly surrounded by messages that we have to fight the signs of aging you know anti-aging products are fiercely marketed at women aren't they not so mm. much at men you know mm. this is a thing not so much at men although I am starting to see a bit more of
0: that I have started to see a little <laughs> bit more of that creeping in
1: <laughs> yeah the hair dye
0: Yes. And some of the some of the face <laughs> creams as well. Um, yeah. You know, so they're obviously trying to, you know, move into that untapped yeah. market.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I completely agree with you. We are conditioned to try to stay younger rather than appreciating and being grateful for what a privilege it is to be able to grow older and to have more time, you know, mm-hmm. and also to value the wisdom. That we have. I don't know about you, but I feel better in my forties. You know, okay, menopause symptoms aside, but from a state of mind, generally, I feel better now than I have ever felt in my life.
0: Yeah, I, I, I was actually quite. I've talked about this on the show before, but I was quite nervous about turning fifty this year. But uh, you know, I feel. I think although my body does feel a bit older, and there's things I can't do now, but. But yeah, mentally, I think I'm definitely in a calmer place in terms of not feeling like I have to do all the things.
1: Yeah, yeah, which
0: is which is which is nice, and um, you know, feeling more comfortable in myself. I think, um, which, which, which is something that that we don't talk about in, enough. I think that kind of. You know, liking ourselves and and not trying to constantly be doing all the things and and allow ourselves to rest.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You're right. So right, celebrating the good stuff.
0: Sorry. Yes, That's exactly. Right. Celebrating the good stuff. So, yeah. um, just on that point that you were talking about, um, you you were talking a bit about um being calm and m- movement and breathing. What kind of things can we be doing that can help to Um, you know bring in the best parts of our our nervous system and calm down those stress responses that will affect um, you know our digestion affect our
1: absorption of nutrients yeah Yeah, I think you know this is a really it's a good and it's a big piece and I think um, you know it's almost like if you had the one thing that you would do I think practicing some kind of Um, calming mind body connective activity daily is a really good idea and it really it can be as little as 10 minutes a day that you can do something that can help you to you know just calm your nervous system down tune into yourself a little bit Um, and also I think we spend an awful lot of time in our heads don't we thinking thinking overthinking so anything that can kind of Gently bring your attention away out of your mind and into your body is a really, really good thing. So I often talk about, so things you can do in 10 minutes a day, a bit of box breathing. Have you tried that? That's a...
0: I haven't. Tell us about box breathing. Yeah, so
1: box breathing is a really nice way to regulate your nervous system. And it's something you can do really, really quickly. I do it quite a lot now. And that is just simply breathing in so from your belly breathing in for a count of four breathing in at the top holding it for four and then breathing out for four and holding it again for four and it's just a really simple technique and all you really need to do is to do that four or five times and you just get that Ah, you know, it takes you out of that moment as well. It's just a really nice activity that in a moment of stress or just to start your day, it kind of sets the tone and it's a good way to come out of frustrating moments as well, I think. So I have kind of started to do a bit of box breathing.
0: Oh, I love that. And I'm guessing, I mean, a lot of breathing techniques are about our body signaling to our brain that we're safe.
1: Absolutely. Um,
0: because kind of calms down those stress responses that you talk about um so I'm guessing that it would also be really helpful to use in in times of stress as well you yeah. know whatever whatever that might be so I'm definitely gonna gonna give that a go so box breathing and and you talk about kind of you know that mind body connection and I'm guessing that you, there's maybe some other habits that you yourself use so Is there anything that you do on a daily basis that just helps you to to kind of reduce that stress or makes you happier?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I like you. I'm a movement person. Um, I also realized just recently I've um, got diagnosis for ADHD, so I'm a constant mover. Right. Mm. (laughs) I'm on the go all the time. But I find movement is a really great way to do many things. It helps us to diffuse emotion. I think it helps us to release and process stress. So I like to, I like to walk and I do that every day. I used to be someone, I mentioned this to you um, before, that used to get up every day and do it first thing in the morning. And I used to be very intent on doing that. I think one of the great things about growing a little bit older is that perhaps I'm a bit nicer to myself now. If I don't manage to do that in the morning because I've got a hectic morning or I'm doing I just think that's okay. I didn't get to do that thing, but I'm not going to cause myself more stress (laughs) by thinking I didn't do that. I'm just going to do it at a time that works for me. So my kind of body, mind, connective activities for me personally are 20 minutes of yoga, a good walk you know I try and kind of get out and get 5k's out in the morning or in the afternoon um, and those kind of things so quiet movement practices I don't tend to go to the gym um and whack out the cardio anymore
0: it's interesting isn't it how your body shifts yeah. in, in terms of movement I've definitely moved away from the, the cardio um and more into bone strengthening activities yes um, so important as as we age um, and I, I know you're also um a list maker tell us a bit about that
1: <laughs> this is so true I think that might be one of my ADHD traits as well list the magic of list um, yeah so There's a number of things that I think we can use this kind of thing for. Um, I tend to use lists simply because it helps me to organise my brain. I think there's um, a great deal, a great sense of achievement can be um, enjoyed from ticking things off a list. As long as we're not too, you know, heavy on ourselves for not getting those things done. Other good lists are things like if you struggle to sleep at night. Um, I have a little thing of empty your head before bed so having a little notebook by your bedside you know how we tend to sometimes go to bed we've got all these things buzzing around that we want to do the next day it can really really help to get all those things out onto paper before you go to bed so they're in the book they're there for you tomorrow morning you don't have to worry about them when you're kind of dropping off to sleep so lists are I think a really good thing and kind of in a similar way I like to um arrange my nourishment that way so I've always been a meal planner not a regimented breakfast lunch dinner but I know that if I write a list of the things that I'm gonna eat for dinner over the next week I'm more likely to eat those things Um, Mm. You know, it's kind of that ahead of time thinking and it just makes it a bit easier for me to organize mine and my family's food that way. So, yeah, I think you're either a listy or you're not, right? Are you a listy?
0: Oh, my God. I am. I am all things planning and organization, Josie. (laughs) (laughs) As as I'm sure you remember well. Um, Yes, I've totally accepted that I am, you know, list. (laughs) and planning and goals yeah it's just who I am I I love it it's it's part of my DNA and and I can't not not do it so yeah I'll make a list for any eventuality and it and I and I've realized that lists and writing writing generally actually is how I process my thoughts so I think through writing um and so making you know lists or planning allows me to process my thinking and it also is my it's one of my ways of reducing stress because it's how i take control of situations that i i'm not in control in and so and i think that maybe is why it's also quite useful for people who you know in terms of if you're feeling very stressed writing things down uh, creates a sense of order and stress usually comes from when we're out of control uh, yes. or we feel like when we're, we're not in control so being able to process things and write them down does create that sense of control. Um, Even if you actually haven't done anything other than write it down, it's a great way of, and and I guess if you combine that with box breathing, we've got a whole package there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Brilliant. That's your real self-care. Yeah,
0: absolutely. A little bit of movement (laughs) as well. Yeah. And we're we're done. We're done. (laughs) Um, Love that. Love that, JC. Um, I'd like to talk, I know you've got some tips for people about how, you know they can start creating success habits, and 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 I want to to talk about those. Um, before we go into the tips, tell us a bit about your um, what's exciting you at the moment, and w- with how you're working with people. What have you got coming up that might be um useful for our listeners to know
1: about? Oh, great! Yeah, I've got a really good one. So um, I have a program. Kind of my flagship program is the Non Diet Method, and. It's a combined content. So, you know, the learning about nutrition and emotional health, there's a community around it and I coach in it as well. So it's kind of a full service programme, if you like. Um, All the stuff that we've talked about. So transitioning, the transition away from the unlearning piece about being on weight loss diets to getting to that point of recognising that actually I need more than this perhaps I do need to educate myself a little bit more perhaps I do need to feel more supported all those kind of things there's kind of a there's a big jump between you know just checking in at Weight Watchers and being scolded for having put on a pound to actually you know taking time to recognize that you're worthy of investing um, more in yourself so to help women to understand the program and exactly what that kind of transition means I've got a free coaching series available at the moment I've called it the Four stage reset Um, and essentially it is just for want of a better word bite size um, videos that just tell you a little bit about a more holistic way of approaching your health so the first session is all about adjusting your thinking away from diet culture and more into an approach that thinks more about nutrition and emotional health the it's all really practical stuff as well so it's I've always kind of thought knowledge is great but it's kind of useless unless you know how what to do with it and how to actually make it work for you so the second session is called balance and it is all about how you can um, balance the macro so the major food groups how you can balance your plate basically for um, healthy blood sugars the third one is exactly what we've been talking about, all to, all about how stress affects your body and your body composition and what you can do to help yourself in that area. And then the final session is all about um, feeding your cells, about increasing the variety and nutrient density of your diet. So it's a really, really great program. It's absolutely free. Um, and that is available at the moment on my website. and actually, I kind of did this as a live thing a couple of times and it worked really well. So this is now permanently available um, and you can sign up. I think maybe you can put it in the show notes for me.
0: Yes, absolutely. I will put the link to the four stage reset in the program, in, into the show notes. And just right. to say, I I I started watching the first video um, as I was preparing for, for our chat today and it is fabulous guys. So you must go and check it out. It's completely free um and you'll just get an email from Josie and you can see the links and it's sort of videos where Josie's talking you through a lot of what we talked about today but in 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 more detail and yeah. and i think that just learning process e- even if that's all you do just having an awareness of the diet culture and how it permeates everything that we see and magazines and the fashion industry and and all of that um i think you know all of that combines to affect us um from externally and and then it changes how we think about ourselves internally so it's yeah. just having an awareness of that is is something that you know is a really good thing I think so definitely that will be in the show notes so thank, right. thank you, for you that JC that's fab um so just going back to what I was saying before I know you've got some fab tips I do want to to share these um before we run out of time so Thinking about what we talk about on the show, which is creating habits to to make make us happier and and more successful. And I know one of the things that people always struggle with is how they can create those habits and and break habits that don't support them. So, what are your tips that you've got um, in this area?
1: Yeah, great. So, um, a phrase that I use quite often in my coaching with the women that I work with is take baby steps. You know, so this is really about focusing on the individual steps and not the whole staircase, because that's when we can start to become overwhelmed, particularly when it comes to things like, you know, changing our diet or changing some of our lifestyle habits. So specifically when it comes to making changes to your diet, for example, just go gently, maybe just take it one meal at a time, you know. So for example, if you were going to do the full stage reset and you came across my guidance on how to balance your meals maybe you just try breakfast you know maybe you just try lunch so it's about just I think you can really really help yourself by breaking it down and making gradual changes you don't have to do everything at once and that way you can also kind of see what fits for you you know trying a few different foods trying a few different meals checking in with how energized you feel in the morning after eating it all those kind of things so nice and slow is my first tip Um, My second thing is I think it always helps to have someone by your side, someone who's got your back, a cheerleader. So that's either, you know, someone who is your mate, who you hook up with to do your movement practice. You know, it's just this motivation thing. Someone that can basically keep you accountable is a really good idea when it comes to lifestyle changes, a thing that I find with a lot of women that I work with, you know, if we're trying to make changes to our diets, it really helps if you can get your family on board, because we all know what it's like, you know, you've got kids want this meal, you've got your partner who really doesn't care less, you know, what, what he's got, I've worked with so many women as well who, you know, family families don't like vegetables or whatever it is, so get your family on board. Um, Share your plans that you want to improve your diet or that you want to do something, you know, good and get them on board because that will really, really help you. And my final thing is to find the joy, you know, try and I think we are really brought down by diet culture. We don't it doesn't encourage us to feel good about food. It doesn't encourage us to feel Um, positive about our body Um, I'm kind of not so much for the body positive thing because I think that can be a big leap but just try and find the joy in what you're doing so a great example of this I think is that I really resented movement for a long time you know I didn't really like going to the gym and when I reflected on that I realized that that was because of how it was framed for me as a way to lose weight, as a way to change my body shape, you know? And I used to hate going to the gym and it took me a while to rediscover that actually I enjoyed moving my body. So it's kind of about tuning out of all the BS um, and doing the stuff that brings you joy. Find joy in the food that you eat, introduce colour, introduce textures, have fun with it, try some new recipes. Um, yeah and just do it bit by bit that
0: really really helps. I think those those tips are fantastic and just that point on on enjoying exercise it's really interesting that really resonates with me actually because um, and the link between eat with between food and and exercise I think is a really interesting one and I've certainly discovered since embarking on the muscle building program that I'm on to support my low density bone, my bone density issues. um, I realized how much we need to fuel our bodies Mm. in order to grow a small amount of muscle. And, um, you know, realizing that I'd under eaten for so many years um, was really a fascinating discovery. And certainly that was a relearning experience for me. And I'm, you know, I've been eating vastly more than I, I ever have before and the interesting the finding the joy I suppose for me as you say has been the strength that I've got as a result of that and seeing wow. that change in your body as you do movement that that you enjoy yeah. and, and kind of celebrating your body as as a you know as a, a strong you know healthy body that's there to support you as you as you age and as you grow right yeah that's so good to
1: hear that is so good to hear so you're really feeling it yeah yeah
0: yeah actually just feeling the strength and no because I think as we age the other the other tendency is um you know when we go to that negative place oh well it's all downhill from here that's it you know I'm gonna age now I'm gonna you know I'm going to obviously at some point I'm going to struggle to do this that and the other but you can actually get stronger as you age indeed um, if you fuel your body in the right
1: way yeah yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's, there's a lot to be celebrated and discovered. You know, I think that we kind of, that's it, isn't it? We're kind of taught to think it's all over mm. and it's not game over. Um, we are still, there is still so much to be discovered, enjoyed and, you know, and to embrace that a little bit.
0: 100%. And that is a fantastic place for us to stop. Josie, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. I could chat to you for hours and hours about this but the best place um, for people to get in contact with you, apart from the Four Stage Reset Challenge, where can people find you?
1: Yeah, great. So um, my, I'm Josie Jones. Obviously, I'm a food and eating psychology coach. but I'm the founder of The Mindful Cook. So go to the all one word, OneWord.co.uk or .com and you'll find me there. And our, on social media, people
0: can find you as the same. Yeah,
1: so on Instagram, I am themindfulcook.co.uk, and on Facebook, I am themindfulcook. Oh, I've just started a TikTok account as well. Controversial. Ooh. Uh, Two hundred followers, so I'm giving that a go. <laughs>
0: Right, everyone has to jump onto TikTok and support (laughs) Josie to get those numbers up. That is your challenge, listeners. (laughs) We have to get that higher because Josie is incredible and teaching so many people wonderful things about nutrition and how to have a better relationship with their body. So thank you so, so much for being on the show today. Thank
1: you for having me. It's been great chatting to you.
0: Okay, that's it for today's show. And as I mentioned earlier, you'll find all the links for this episode and previous episodes in this series in the show notes at michellereveswrites.com forward slash podcast. And hey, if you did enjoy this episode, it would mean the world to me if you could take five minutes and leave a comment and review where you're listening today. I love to hear from you. It makes this more of a conversation. And due to the way these platforms work, it really does mean that others will more easily find the show. Thanks so much for listening today. I'll see you next time.
1: Bye for now.